Yes, I call myself a witch knowing that I was simply born a witch. And again, yeah, not being initiated into any specific coven or or lineage in that way. For me, being a witch is having a deep connection to nature and to the cyclic rhythm of nature. And being a witch to me also means living in radical responsibility of how we create our reality. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine Podcast. Hello, hello, and Happy New Year to all of the Time of the Feminine community. This is Shayna here, just wishing you the most beautiful, abundant, joyful turf as we walk into this fresh place for a new year. Even though technically I feel that the new year starts when spring does, or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I guess it can be a new year for you. It's nice and sunny and bright. So anyways, this year for me is all about health and really feeling healthy and full of vitality from the inside out. And because this podcast is so in line with everything that Lauren and I do and what we believe the time of the feminine is really here for... We've partnered with an organization that feels the same way, and the woman, Marcella, who who started this company was on our podcast a few weeks ago, and she's been with the Global Sisterhood since the very, very, very beginning, and so it feels like a perfect alignment to share this new offering that she has, and it is specifically formulated blends for women to complement our self-healing powers, but they support PMS and menopause relief hormone and mood support, and urinary tract health. So ladies, this is something that we don't often talk about in public because it can often be embarrassing, whether it's having low libido or constantly dealing with UTIs or having these really painful menstrual cramps that I have myself. These formulas are here to help. And so they have specifically blended formulas of beautiful herbs and also high quality CBD that works to enhance the healing properties that you have within you because our bodies are inherently good and they want our best and most vital selves to be present. And so this brand works with that. And so they're offering something very special for our community. And that is if you check them out at goddesswell.co and end up purchasing one of their products, that you can get another product for free. So if you buy one product, you get another product free by using the code SISTER. And the intention is that you buy another product and you give it to your friend. So I just wanted to share this with you because Goddess Well has really supported us in this time. They're our official podcast sponsor for the Time of the Feminine. And I just believe it's so important for us to take care of our reproductive health, you know, our our beautiful bodies that have done so much for us. And for those of us that are still in our days of going through our cycles, you know, this is so much of our life that we deal with this. So why not make it, you know, the beautiful time it's supposed to be. And so go ahead and check out their products. I promise you from using them myself, you will not be disappointed. Goddesswell.co, check them out and we'll talk to you soon. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Time in the Feminine podcast. It's Lauren here, and today I get to chat with a fellow sister who is quite like me in many ways. We have known each other for a few years. We both host circles. We've connected multiple times throughout the journey of global sisterhoods. 
birthing and creation and stewarding. She is a beautiful soul who lives in Canada. And we're going to dive deep into various interesting conversations. And we're going to dive into LBGTQ and spiritual spaces and gender identity and these kinds of topics as well. So let me introduce Flora Ware. So Flora Ware believes that our voices are magical instruments for healing and manifestation. And in 2020, she released a beautiful album of pagan chants, Songs for the Wheel of the Year. Flora is deeply connected to her Celtic ancestral roots, having been on the path as a practicing witch since her first full moon women's circle in 1993. In addition to moon rituals and deep conversations with her soul sisters, Flora loves hiking, swimming, dancing, singing, all the witchy fun things. Flora loves hiking, swimming, dancing, singing, eating, and anything covered in pesto. She lives in Canada with her wife and her son. Welcome, welcome, Flora. Thank you for that introduction, Lauren. It's wonderful to be here. So... Tell me about your very first moment that you realized you wanted to lead a full moon circle back in 1993, because that back then, I don't know about where you were, where you are in Canada, but they weren't that big back then. (laughs) Well, it's true. And I often say I went to my first full moon women's circle with my mom. And if I don't then also say it was also my mom's first full moon women's circle. People assume that it was something that she'd been going to forever and then just finally brought me along because I was old enough to come, right? And I just happened to be really lucky that as a 14-year-old, I had a mom that was interested in meeting with other women in that way and also had other hippie and artistic and witchy friends in the place that we lived that it really got started. And there was such a movement at that time, you know, before, yay, before the internet and all of that, there, it was the, right around the time that Clarissa Pinkola Estes groundbreaking book, Women Who Run With The Wolves was published. It was also at the same time that the um, Canadian Film Corporation was releasing the Burning Times documentaries. Love that um, movie. Yes. And, and it was even in 1993, there was a huge uh, conference, a, a big conference in Ireland in Kildare where goddess Bridget, St. Bridget was being really reinstated in a bigger way. So all over the world, there was something happening in the early nineties <laughs> that I see is, was really the natural result of the feminist movement of the sixties and into the seventies and, and also the grandmothers of the reclamation traditions really as they became known because that's what Starhawk called them. <laughs> you know, women like Starhawk, women like ZZ Budapest, um, you know, as like another wave of of influencers. So all of that was really happening then. And so there I was just in that perfect storm. And from that very first circle, I remembered what it was like when we lived in a, in a time when we gathered like that almost every day, you know, not just women, but as a community, we sat in circles to make decisions and, um, and to share stories and to share wisdom. And so I was, I was hooked from the get go and I was not a reluctant leader. I pretty much volunteered us to host the next circle. My mom and I mom, 14. <laughs> so the very next circle I was ready to host and I was studying my spiral dance book by Starhawk and I, I was figuring it out. So Starhawk, God bless you, Starhawk. We keep reaching out to you, be on our podcast. We want you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Goddess bless you. Excuse me. So Starhawk was one of your really early influences then. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. your mother, did your mother introduce you to all of these amazing women pioneers? You know, I wish I remembered how that copy of the spiral dance made it into my hands. I I feel like it didn't come directly from my mom, but we were probably in the, in the metaphysical shop shopping together when I got it. And so your mother, 
what was her journey around the time you were 13 or 14? Had she grown up Catholic? Was she a feminist? What was her background? What brought her to this time where she was bringing her daughter with her to metaphysical shops? Yeah, I. She was a recovering Catholic and had left the church early because couldn't you know couldn't reconcile what was being said about sinners, uh, really. And and then again, talk this metaphor of the perfect storm. But the perfect storm was really around her in the early seventies, and especially being in the on the west coast of Canada, that California culture was just continuing to uh, come up the west coast in the hippie era, and so yoga found her and uh, as did all of the other accoutrements of the hippie era. Uh, And so her spiritual journey took a much more humanist and universal turn. And so then when we were growing up, my brother and I, you know, we just, we, it was, it was wonderful having spiritual parents, not religious parents, but they certainly weren't atheists. There was still a lot of faith and um and really a lot of respect for nature it was really all about nature mm-hmm. so yeah just at, that's how it just was the organically came together as a way to um really come into ceremony mm-hmm. and and I'm, I'm so grateful that circles and ceremonies have stayed such a huge part of my life mm-hmm. i love how you said yoga found her versus she found mm-hmm. yoga it really feels actually more accurate, right? When a path, <laughs> do we find the path or does the path find us? Beautiful. So then sitting as a 14-year-old in your very first woman's circle and you were so in, you loved it. Explain to me why. Like, who were you at 14? What were the inner feelings and explorations of your little blooming self? And what did the circle activate in you? Mm. Well, it really activated a remembrance in me of when God was a woman. And I choose those words specifically, you know, based again on another groundbreaking book, When God Was a Woman by Merlin Stone. And the equanimity, the energy of equanimity in the circle really, really spoke to me because everyone in the circle was more than twice my age. So to feel like I was being welcomed in by these older women, I think for me, what satisfied that, that ego part of me, like, oh yes, oh, I'm being welcomed into something. You know, we all like, like that feeling, but on a soul level, it was that feeling of we are all equals in circle Mm -hmm. and that my voice is as valued and respected as anyone else's voice here. Uh, my experience is as valid as anyone else's here, and I can share that. It and and it didn't hurt that the women that my mom had connected with were really into chanting and drumming. So a, a big part of it was chanting, drumming, howling at the moon, and <laughs> and so I uh, I really yeah I really got to experience what that was what that was like with, uh, with other women and, and being that, being that maiden, it was, it was, it was an honor truly. So did you go through any type of initiation with them at some point as you grew with them? How long did you circle with this group of older women? Hmm. No, I never did. It, you know, it wasn't a, it it wasn't a a tight coven and and there was no, um, yeah, really, I guess the equanimity w- w- was very strong and that there, there was one woman that if anyone had said, who's the high priestess, we probably would have said her, but it was also because she was willing to host most often, but even the hosting got shared around. And so I circled with them for a few years because, and then I left when I went to this, moved to the city and went to college and university and then there was many years where circles weren't a part of my life and, you know, out of just the situation. And and by the time I realized how much I missed it, again, they found me. It was like they found me right when I realized that I missed it and I needed circles in my life again. So what is your spiritual orientation now? 
like as a spiritual person, like how do you orient, you call yourself a witch. And I'm curious if there's like actual spiritual practice behind that, or if that's um, witch in your own liberty and in self-creativity and invention. And I'm curious how circling and chanting and all of the things you've been doing your whole life has, has shaped that connection that you have to spirit. Mm, yes, definitely. It has. Yes. I, I call myself a witch knowing that I was simply born a witch and again, yeah, not being initiated into any specific coven or, or lineage in that way. For me, being a witch is having a deep connection to nature and to the cyclic rhythm of nature. And being a witch to me also means living in radical responsibility of how we create our reality mm. in so in so many ways. And so it's really like a, ba- a balancing, uh, a balancing act or like a, a tango, if you will, tangoing with spirit in, in finding that be- be- the balance between divine will and my own will, mm-hmm. right. In terms of <laughs> manifesting. And for me, it's nature. The nature connection has always been like a keystone in my spirituality and with circles too. I love it when we can meet outside and, and be outdoors and, you know, being North of the 49th parallel, there's, um, you know, less months of the year where only, only the very intrepid (laughs) witches and priestesses (laughs) will, (laughs) will tromp out in the snow. Um, but you know, we've even had some small winter solstice, uh, circles that way, uh, you know, in the snow around a fire, I think it's interesting that I was introduced to women's ceremony and, and I was really introduced to this work through chants and through drumming. So I can't imagine it any other way, honestly, because that was how I was introduced to it. And I, I've been a singer since uh, before I could even speak, right? I've been singing since I one years old. So to to how to understand a devotional practice that involve that involves the chanting then when I, I of course discovered the mantra of yoga in terms of that devotional practice again it made so much sense so that's that is a big part of how i practice is using voice and other instruments to create those those frequencies for what the ceremony is or for what the ritual is, mm-hmm. right? There's different frequencies you want to create or, or invite in if depending on what the intention is. So that has really been a big part of my practice and continues to be. I love sharing how people can use their voice, like do vocal magic. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, we, because we forget, it, it, you know, it's something that I also really appreciate Lisa Lister for the author of, of which that, you know, she'll say, if you have a wand, it's great, but never forget you have a, your finger, like your finger is enough to cast a, a circle, just like a wand. And it's the same with our voice. We have this incredible instrument literally right under our noses <laughs> and it's just waiting for to be used for our spiritual practices, for our manifestation, for anything that we're trying to release or heal. So yeah, the, quickly, the few tips that I'll, I'll always share since you asked is to think about start saying things out loud even when you're in meditation, if you're really wanting to activate more, you can whisper and say things out loud. What if you spoke some more things out loud than you would usually just do it all quietly in your head. And if you're and if you're with a group, of course, then, and if you're the facilitator, another tip is to cue your circle when you, you want them to perhaps repeat something in an invocation or repeat something in an opening prayer or a closing prayer. People just need a little little cue sometimes, like, and if you'd like to repeat, you can do that. And then you're inviting everyone else's voices in. And there's a real beauty and there's a real power in that. And then the third tip I like to, to offer is that even if you've never done this before, if you sit and listen, if you're in meditation, you're in, in prayer and you're wanting to weave something, listen, 
listen for a melody to come through or even listen for a simple rhythm that will come through and then find a way to 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 improvise with that. I love that so much. Yeah, you like that one? Yeah. I love that one because I feel like people are always so impressed when like a melody comes through me and I'm humming it or something. I'm like, it's so easy actually. You just have to like open for it and then open your mouth and not judge what comes out. That's yes. the tricky part for people is not judging what comes out. And it can be so easy. That, that- like the other day, I, I'm it's still in my head, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sing it for you. It's so easy. Yay. It's just this melody of like, flow like water, flow like water, flow like water, flow. Just over and over and over in my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was the song spell that you needed at that time. Mm-hmm. You know that that's why I love to call them. There's song prayers or song spells, and it's a beautiful example that that was the message that you needed. That was the medicine that you were ready to share with that. So what I love about this in terms of vocal activation and also ceremony that involves sound. And I've also for the past 16 years been a part of a spiritual tradition that, that uses music as well. I mean, most mm. do there's, there's always unification of voice and sound and vibration. And what I really love about this, particularly for women is the reclamation of the voice And what I have found is that so much of my insecurity and shame is also linked to my vocal cords and to my voice. And in the act of freeing my voice, I sometimes have to digest and feel the shame that I carry or the fear that Mm. I carry or whatever it is that's blocking the channel for my voice to be truly what it is or what's constricting it, right? I would love you to share a little bit about your journey with that. It's so true, Lauren, that it will get activated. I I often say that like vocal healing or voices are both the, can be the trigger and the bomb Mm -hmm. in this weird way. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, when we start to get into it, it can re-trigger, like you said, or, you know, just bring stuff up that is ready to be healed. Right? And then it's that same thing is, again, our voice. We can use our voice to continue to, to heal it, to move it through. I mean, really, there's been a systemic oppression on women's voices for at least the last 6,000 years. I know. So it's (laughs) like to think that you're going to open your voice if you're not a singer, if you don't speak your truth and think it's going to be easy, like right off the bat is it's, it's kind of an illusion because it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Like it's no one's fault that we might have a hard time drawing clear lines in the sand with our voices and and being eloquent and setting our boundaries. Like sometimes setting your boundaries is freaking messy because you haven't been taught how Mm. to do it. You haven't been modeled. So like Mm -hmm. the vocal exercise of opening our voice and just allowing whatever comes out to come out. And then also having those sweet moments in ceremony with sisters, where all of a sudden your voice harmonizes with other, other voices and you hear your voice in a whole different way because your voice becomes so much more beautiful because it's found Mm. its place in other voices. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole like healing process there too, of knowing that, oh, my voice can be beautiful. Even if you don't like the sound of it on your own, when it blends into the chorus of friends that you feel safe with, it's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, that's so beautiful, especially how you describe that. I love that. And there's so many ways that we can heal our voices that have nothing to do with singing too that really do primarily have to do with us being able to simply speak what's true for us and speak our boundaries and do it in a way that isn't that overcompensation from not holding boundaries that like you say, can be really messy because all of a sudden we're just like, no, not anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's all okay, really, no matter what. Um, I mean, really, I believe that now more than ever, you know, women are poised to to create a lot of change at many different levels of our society, but really it starts in the the sphere that's closest to home, right? It's really our our homes, our families, which I know has been that traditional, you know, it's really what we were relegated with 
in this patriarchal system, like, well, you can, you can be in charge of the house. You can be in charge of the kids, right? I don't want that to have anyone thinking that your influence in that sphere of your home and your family is not important because it's of the utmost importance what we, what, how we hold ourselves as women and what we model to our kids. So when we become more and more, mm, what's the right word? I mean, it's confident, but I mean, really when, when we become more fluent in being, using our voices to speak our truth, just as the, the way that it is and healing ourselves from the ways that we tend to limit our expression, then that ripple effect goes beyond the home to our workplaces, perhaps into our communities and really the world at large. So it's one of the most things that I'm most passionate about is helping women heal their voices and, and, and get rid of the restrictions on their expression. And whether that's for speaking or for singing or for writing or for, even if it's not even to do with the voice, but just do dancing and art. This is what I want more women all over the world. And I know you do too. This is what we're passionate about. It's the expression that flows. Yeah. And in honor of that and where women are, you know, like I speak on this podcast, Shana speaks on this podcast. We express ourselves in numerous ways, but I'm still learning myself. Right. You know, deeply there today, today I was processing something around like a nuance of between setting a bound. Oh, it's, it's complicated. It's like a multi, multi, multi layered, like complicated trigger of mine and learning how to speak through it in congruence when there's mm. so much rage behind it for me, knowing that some of that rage doesn't have anything to do with the person who's involved. Actually, it's just mm. mine from the past, but like having multiple layers of like, actually like a, a boundary was crossed and there's this other thing and there's that insecurity I have from it. So there's just all of these like entanglements that make it so hard for me to speak with grace. Mm. And so I'm choosing not to speak, which is not how I roll. Like when there is like disharmony, I'm like my constitution is like fix, fix, fix the disharmony. Now my system can't rest until there's harmony. And I'm taking like <laughs> a pause to really unpack and like unknot un all the different threads here so that when I'm ready to have this conversation, I do so while respecting and owning my truth and also mm. respecting the other person. Yeah. Mm, I really witness you sister in that and you've, and you have explained it so eloquently and I can just really relate. I'm, I'm the same where I can't rest until there's harmony. <laughs> and sometimes we actually need to, and sometimes we actually need to let something rest right. or we need to give yeah ourselves space so that we can respond with more compassion instead of reacting in the trigger. Yeah. That, I mean, that takes incredible self-awareness first and, and practice that takes practice. Wow. Tis the season for practice. Welcome to the age of transformation. Yeah. We're all learning how not to fucking explode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Speaking of age of transformation and voice and expression, I want to talk about your journey as a woman and leading up to choosing a wife, getting married, and mm. how that has been for you. Choosing to marry my wife was the easiest decision. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> that was the easiest of it all. Yeah, that was the easiest of it all. And having having been with men primarily, even though I was out as bisexual, you know, with my at least my last few long term relationships with men, it was a shift to suddenly be seen publicly as queer. And to, but to be honest, Lauren, it's like I kept on waiting for the homophobia. I kept on waiting for it. I was like, who's who's going to dish it? Where is it going to come from? What you know? 
what person in my life or what angle. And then it's just like, it never came. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no one cared. Well, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> is that, is that Canada or is that women? You know? No, that I think it's, I think it's BC. Yeah. I think it's BC Canada. And it's also was my social circle. Mm-hmm. Like I did have some friends that were surprised, but then as you know, life goes on, then they were all like, Oh yeah, I, I love your new partner. Right. But of course, anyone that's friends with you when you're in a relationship and then you're suddenly not in that relationship anymore, there's always an adjustment. But I know that what you wanted to talk about too was like, how is it being a queer woman as a women's circle facilitator and being in this win? And I have to come out all the time because otherwise people assume I'm straight. It's true. So that's part of my journey. Then I'm just always coming out. <laughs> I'm coming out. I'm good. <laughs> again and again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> exactly right. But it's like, yeah, aside from like one one neighbor that corrected me and said, don't you mean your husband? And then I said, no, my wife. And then she said again, you mean your husband? And I was like, no, I know what I mean. I mean my wife. Like other than that one conversation, I just haven't I haven't been face to face with much ignorance or or prejudice. And I think being in business for myself now and being in the online space, part of me being out and proud like, "Hi, I'm Flora. I'm a queer witch." It just works really well to only attract awesome people that are into what I'm all about to me. I just don't have to deal with anyone else. (laughs) That's a great reminder. Be who you are and the ones who you don't want around you anyway will fall away. That's right. That's right. Like, so I, that is, it's, it's a, you know, be authentic, be out. Uh, That's certainly been my, 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 just my motto because I'm, I'm out of the closet. I'm out of the broom closet and I'm out of, you know, any closet. And yet, you know, at the heart of it though, I suppose I do tone it down somewhat in terms of like, you, we all love the goddess here. But you know me sometimes, like I could actually really love the goddess. If you know what I mean, <laughs> I, I, I have mean... that same love affair with Jesus. <laughs> right. I'm a witch who loves right. Jesus. There you go. Oh, I witness you, witch who loves Jesus. So <laughs> I don't, you know, not to say that I don't really bring my sexuality into it, but I guess maybe I am saying that I don't really need to. I, I don't need to. I don't know. It just doesn't even need to really be a thing. I, but I will say that other, I do tend to attract other women that are either also bisexual or pansexual, or they're also queer, you know, or they're allies. That's the, that's the I've never thing. heard I the term pansexual. Ah, great. So I used to identify as bisexual. And then I realized that even that term, right? The bisexual perpetuates the gender binary, Mm. right? So eight years ago, about eight, nine years ago, I realized, oh, right. That's essentially a trans exclusionary term, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I adopted the term pansexual, meaning like I'm attracted to all gender expressions. Potentially, I'm attracted to, let's be clear here, right? I'm potentially attracted to any and all number of gender expressions. That's the pan, right? Pansexual. And that was eight years ago. And just this year, my wife came out as non-binary. So, yeah. So they're not using they, them pronouns. And it just, it's like, right. Well, I knew you were genderqueer since I met you. That's what was, I was attracted to you. Yeah. So that's been a journey as well. And what has that been for them? Oh, I, yeah, they're home in themselves in a, in a whole new way. That's really, really beautiful to see. And it also, you know, since this is a time of the feminine podcast, early menopause, I think, really helped them make this mm. inner shift because it was like the hormones were already doing it. Mm. Yeah. And then, so, so I have a question about their experience. 
So if you're permitted to share, I, I'm curious about the, the process of non-binary. For me, mm. understanding trans is like, I've got that figured out. The non-binary, yeah. is it like the desire to be fluid or will you share more about this? I would say for Christy, it is. And that's my wife, the, the fluidity. And for most non-binary, they feel like I'm not fully one or the other. Mm-hmm. I'm both mm-hmm. and neither. Do you think that's in some ways a more evolved expression on some levels? You know, I think that there it's not a coincidence that a lot of futuristic sci-fi picture, uh, like a future where more people are androgynous, non-binary, not in a in a very uh, accentuated expression, and like ev- and everyone's pansexual. I've seen a lot of futuristic sci-fis like that, and I'm like, yeah, I can kind of see that that's where we're going because there's more freedom than ever before for people to really be authentic about hmm. who they are. Do you think it's also like a natural evolution trauma response from the gender roles that have been so oppressive for both main, I guess I don't like main genders, but standard man, woman, gender roles. Well, right. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm not going to fit into that and I'm not going to fit in, in into either box. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that could be part of it. It's something that's, that's really deep. Mm-hmm. I think that it's gender identity is something that's pretty deep seated and very individual because, you know, as a woman myself, like I'm, I'm really comfortable and at home in, in being a woman and in my femininity and my whole life can be, you know, fuck you to the system. So yeah, it, it really depends. Yeah. It's such a unique <laughs> identity. Like, I just want to just say that word again, identity. Mm. You know how utterly important it is to like and feel at home in your identity. And what a journey it is. It's like super not static, you know? Exactly right. We go through many identities in a lifetime. Yeah. And that's, and that's beautiful. I, f- in my twenties, I remember a feeling of um, almost like I was embarrassed by how much I was kind of changing, you know, like I felt like I was supposed to already have something kind of consistent and figured out, mm-hmm. you know, and now at 45, like, I don't, I don't feel that at all. I, I welcome and I celebrate like how, how many incarnations of me there's already been in this lifetime I can like celebrate every chapter and what moved me from that one chapter onto the next and there's no I have far less shame about my life of transformation (laughs) yeah yeah Um, yeah there's so many little deaths that have to happen to really continue to transform and I'm thinking about just like I'm, I'm going in two directions, but one direction is kind of like a, an interesting direction because you're also a feminist, I can tell, ish. Right. Maybe you don't identify with the term feminist, but you, you oh, absolutely. you're like, no, I'm absolutely. a feminist. And yeah. what do you say about that Like certain breed of feminists who are angry at being trans positive? And, and welcoming mm. to the trans community, particularly men wanting to be women who have the argument, you hijacked our rights and now you want to hijack our identity, this kind of thing. Mm. And I, on mm. one level, when I get into that like pain body, I'm like, okay, I understand. I understand. But I, and then when I think of my trans friends, I'm like, it's not like that for them. That's not what's happening. No. Yeah. No. I, I think, I think that that anger is, is mistargeted. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, personally. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and even the younger generation of feminists who are saying, oh, but I don't like to call myself a feminist. Well, it, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's also understandable based on the history of the, of the movement. Yeah. But they're feminists. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Don't be, yeah. Mis- don't be mistaken. Like all the women that freaking worked their asses off and were angry and marching in the streets. Yeah. We don't want to be angry in the same degree now or wanting to evolve to a different expression, but like 
don't reject it because that's what got us able to make the choice to have this expression. Well, that's it. There is, there's a bit of, yeah, there's a bit of, um, you know, kind of standing on the shoulders of giants while disrespecting the, you know, the giants, yeah. the past, that, that a bit of that, but yeah, it's, it's funny. Be, I forget often how, like who I am and, and my, the way that I think I forget that I'm such a, that I am such a threat to the status quo. <laughs> I do forget. I don't mean to be this challenger, right? Like I don't, and yet just who I am is, and I do forget that sometimes. So being a feminist, being a witch, you know, being married to a woman, you know, only having one child, like, I don't know, all these things that have just happened. And so it, you know, being witch on its own is a political statement. Being feminist is a political statement and being queer is a, is a political statement. And it, and for me, I've, I have gone to rallies, of course, I've gone to protests and, and at different times, but I much prefer to uh, do my protests through ceremonies yeah. and I'm trying to change the world through art, music and, 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 and living. You remind me of Maude from Harold and Maude. Do you remember? <laughs> do you, have you Maude. seen Harold and Maude? From of the 1970s, course. there's a part where she's like holding an umbrella and she was like, I used to be in the front lines of and picketing and being a revolutionary. And then she gets real soft. And she goes, no, I do my revolutionary work in a different type of way. Something. That's, those are not, that's not quite her words, but it reminds me of you. And it, I feel like that's also another expression. Maybe it's not the expression for everybody because we need that, that level of like showing up that woman power, that man power, whatever it is, we need that. And then there's another aspect of that activism which you were just yeah. speaking about, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah, because activism can can really be, it's like, how are you unplugging from the system mm -hmm. and creating a new, more regenerative system mm -hmm. for yourself, for your family? It can, be, it can be, your activism is what you choose to shop because we vote with our dollars in a big way. Mm -hmm. So the little daily activities and really how we live our life, it all can be a beautiful act of activism, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you think, and this can be a totally personal answer, doesn't have to be based on research or anything like that. Do you think that more people are gender fluid or at least sexually fluid than they realize? Oh, yeah. Definitely. I know because of the number of straight women that come up to me and tell me about <laughs> their desires or their college experiences with women, because I get all the stories, which I love, by the way, keep them coming. <laughs> I am a Scorpio. You can talk to sex. You can talk to me about sex anytime. I do not mind. Yeah. So I really do. Like I said, there's, there's not more gay people than ever before, but there's more freedom than ever before. Yeah. Right. I think it was Glennon Doyle that really made that clear somewhere I read. I was like, that's exactly it. We're just more free than ever before. Um, and that one famous queer comedian that says, guys, stop with the dick pics. Like you're just turning women gay. <laughs> so true. <laughs> God, I just had a flashback. <laughs> oh no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oh man. Um, that's funny. That's funny. I did not expect uh, any podcast interview that I was going to do for global sisterhood to have included what I, what just came out of my we, we did one that said, we said death of the fuck boy. So wow. we're among sisters here. Yeah. My first sexual experiences were all with girls. Oh wow. All of them. I think because I felt safer with girls than mm. I did boys, but never fell in love with a woman or a girl. Never happened. It was mm. always like always boys or now I'm engaged and I'm super happy, but he is, he embodies more feminine. He's well, he's very masculine, but he's very integrated in his feminine. Cause there mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. like what I love about the feminine, like, like why I do this work is because of how deep and yummy it is. It's mm. like mystery and poetry and death and rebirth and magic. It's so 
luscious, the feminine. And so when a man is super on the pole of like super masculine, I just, he's not for me. They're like, I can't swim and make love in the poetry with him. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say some women, all they want is a super masculine man that can build shit and break shit and throw her on the bed. Like a lot of women want that. And I'm like, I want a man that's like, can like talk to me softly and will wear flowers in his hair. You know, like that's, Mm. that's my kind of man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and that's perfect because you are holding space for him to embody his lunar masculine. Yeah. And, and, well, I mean, I was going to say expecting in return that he holds space for your solar feminine. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he, we have gender roles for sure. Like I'm definitely the female gender in a traditional sense. I'm like, take out the trash, please. And I do the house and I do most of the cooking and he does some other things, but there's a lot of crossover in our intimacy. What about you? Yeah, we, we, of course we have, we have our, our chores kind of, um, separated, but yeah, Christy does, does a lot of more of the kitchen stuff, the domestic than some people would probably think. So, yeah. So I think it's probably more evenly balanced Mm -hmm. in terms of like specific chores, but it's fun to play with different gender roles, not only in the kitchen, but also, you know, in the bedroom. So (laughs) we can have fun playing between different roles. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we have Entered the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Boudoir. <laughs> we have entered. Okay, so then let's talk about sex. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about... Mm-hmm. Tell me about like the most beautiful spiritual meeting sexually that you've ever had. And and like I'm, I want to bring that into this conversation because I feel like... Oh, I just feel like so many people aren't deeply met there, you know? Mm. And for me... To be, I, we all have our different needs and desires, but for me, I need a, a container that's strong, but totally gentle inside where mm-hmm. I can open, I can heal. And that means that I need my partner to have emotional depth. Yeah. That's like, that's the turn on. And that's the, the invitation to open in order to have an ecstatic experience for myself. Yeah. I really, really feel you there. Mm, well, just feeling into this invitation for me, and this is interesting, just having the opportunity to even give words to this, to articulate this, that some of the most ecstatic spiritual, sexual experiences have been this merging that happens between, you know, between this masculine and feminine energy and this, you know, like the polar, the polarities becoming one. And I suppose because I do a lot of energy work and, 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 and chakra work as well, that I don't even need to be consciously thinking like during sex, oh, I want to loop that energy up to my throat chakra. Like it'll just start to happen, but, or something like that. I remember you said this most sublime experience. It was like coming up from the sacral chakra and then like a figure eight through my heart. And then it was like over my brow point, like the third eye. So it was this like fiery, you know, figure of eight energy. And, you know, as I was expanding more and more into the orgasmic state, there was just that it was unity. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, such blissful unity Mm. that heart blown open kind of moments. And yeah, that's that depth of, of trust. The depth of trust that you spoke of is really key to be able to have those kinds of experiences. Mm. That was a beautiful story. And that just, (laughs) actually brought up a question for me that I have, like I have genuine curiosity about, and I don't know if there's like any final or like, this is the real true one answer to, but how you spoke about the two poles, the masculine and feminine coming together as one. 
the way I have related to God is God father, God mother. And I recognize that in between those two poles of goddess and God is all sorts of, of, it's everything. And so in a sense, God is non-binary, right? But there are these two poles. And then there's man and woman in terms of the physical bodies we're born into. And perhaps hormonally, perhaps naturally, the feminine body can embody more of that that ray of consciousness that is the goddess, potentially. And then perhaps men hormonally can embody more of that ray that is like male father god, right? Mm -hmm. However, then their socialization of those roles, right? Then it gets deeper and deeper and it feels more like a cage than it does free, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And so here we are now in this time on the planet where everybody's everybody's wanting the the right to choose maybe not everybody but many people there is a revolution of people who are like i want the right to choose where i fall on that spectrum of that energy that's like how i interpret it in my mind right which i think is a beautiful thing but then when i think of like that ecstatic experience of union and you talked about the two poles and it's like interesting like that's interesting to me that like union is the, the unification of those two poles. And there's a question in this. I just don't know how to formulate it, but it's really like esoteric and nameless. My question, maybe you can psychically interpret my question. <laughs> I think I can, because what we're talking about is the sacred geometry of the Vesica Pisces, which is the two interlocking circles and that the two becomes one and creates a sacred third. And that's that, that center that's in the middle of the, of the Vesica Pisces. So that is a, a yantra or a symbol that has been with us for, for millennia really as a contemplation to the mystery. Mm. Yeah. That Vesica Pisces and how, how, what is the sacred third when two seemingly opposite things join? So it's, you know, this is, yeah, this is like the work of, of, of my, of my, my work as a priestess is really all to serve that unity consciousness. I feel like the time of the feminine, the moving into this new era is really about the sacred third. Mm -hmm. And that's why at the beginning of this era slash the end of an old, we're seeing so much division so much polarization. And I think perhaps it needs to polarize so that opposites can become as one. Yeah, true. And interesting, like what do they create? They create the shape of a circle. <laughs> LOL, we're back to where we began. So we yes, start exactly. we started with the circle. We went to voice. Voice is very connected to sexuality. We went to sexuality and then we went back to voice and then we went to God and now we're back at the circle. <laughs> Such is life. Such is life. And, you know, Lauren, have you ever had anyone on here really talk about that connection between the voice and the vagina? Please do. Okay. Because really from a very um, physiological standpoint, this is true that uh, for, for women, like female embryos. Okay. And by the way, we are all sexless, genderless. We are all non-binary for the first like six to eight weeks of our life, right? Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> right? As eggs in the womb. Let's all remember that. And then something switches and our, and our biological sex is determined. And so female o- embryos, our vocal cords and our ovaries are first the same organ, one organ our ovaries and our vocal cords and that that organ later unfolds into two as as the embryo is becoming a fetus and really growing and this is why doctors call the top of the spine the cervical spine because it not only does it look like our cervixes but because of that physiological connection between our our vaginas our ovaries and our vocal folds and our larynx which is our 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 throat isn't that wild? I love this. Yes. 
we haven't talked about it on the podcast, but we've talked a lot about it in, in circles around the voice. So that, yeah. and also around sexuality, because that's another thing to keep in mind. Sexual violation can lead to shutdown of voice. And yeah. whether, I mean, one in three women have been violated in some way in our world. And whether or not you remember a violation, simply growing up in our culture, porn culture, all of it is a violation. And so mm. the voice and sexuality and working on both is a massive, massive pathway to healing and yeah. claiming our identity as powerful and free and beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, you know, that's the invitation, I think, is for us all to use our voices to claim our identities and knowing that our identities are evolutionary and are allowed to shift and change as we grow and change. And yeah, just, you know, if I can press, impress upon anyone who's listening and thank you to anyone who's tuned in today and listening, but that you can, you can use your voice in little ways every day that have big impact. And it doesn't have to be through, you know, speeches, public speeches. It doesn't need to be through, you know, singing. It doesn't need to be in those big ways, unless that's what's really inspiring you and calling you. You can affect change with your voice every day mm. in just how you speak with people in your relations. Yeah. Mm. And it definitely doesn't have to be on Instagram to make it meaningful and real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I always want to give permission for that. Yes. So <laughs> thank you, Flora. This has been so fun for me to dive into sexuality and sexual identity. Mm. It's and gender identity. It's it feels so important to become more comfortable in these conversations for for everyone. Yeah. You know, especially because we have more non-binary women or trans women that want to come to our circles. Absolutely, and so. And so, you know, how are we going to navigate that or just knowing for yourself, like that there is in many ways, it's, it's not like you don't really have to do anything big and different. You just need to keep on being in inclusive and welcoming. So how yeah. would you suggest being inclusive to non-binary Like for global sisterhood for a long time where we were in, you know, I remember when I first learned about non-binary, it wasn't that many years ago. I'm still, right. I don't have any friends that are non-binary that are close to me. I have trans friends, but yeah. I don't have any non-binary friends yet. Yet, if you're out there, I'll be friends yes. with you. <laughs> I want them. Like, I think non-binary trans people are magical creatures. Like, I just like the ones that I have, the have had the opportunity to fall in love with. I love so deeply. Hmm. And... Global Sisterhood has gone through this phase, especially like in like when we had like that 50,000 person Facebook group and like we've had like these like very public spaces. We'd have people write us like, I'm a trans woman. Can I be in your group? Like, of course, if you identify as female, you could be in the group. And then there was a phase where non-binary people were asking. And I would at that time was a little bit at a loss. Like, what do I do in this situation if this is supposed to be a feminine identifying space? And so I would right. love your guidance here. Well, we're all learning as we go, right? And so it, there's, there's no wrong, you know, you're not wrong if, if what's real for you is that it feels important to keep your women's circle really for, you know, feminine, female identifying women. You just want to sit with what's real and true for you, right? And in your, in, in your situation, I can completely understand why you would feel that, Lauren, right? And it would just give you pause to consider, right? And I've had to do the same thing over the years with my community. So I've been in that same position. And ultimately, what I've come to is that some of my offers really are for women, like they're for women only. And the only way that I can really see offering them and have it, you know, feel safe and make sense and all that, you know, is for that is, is for to have it be women only people that identify as women. Right. But then I realized that there was these other offers that could be much more inclusive 
if I allowed them to be, but I wasn't. And so I, I have started to allow more beings, however they identify, because I ultimately realized what was important for those specific offerings was really like what we were doing in them. It wasn't who, who was showing up to do them. Right. And so that, that was what was real for me. And in terms of local in person, I just specifically asked the one beautiful being that started coming. I said, are you okay that I still say sisters? Cause I'm, I'm kind of stuck on still saying sisters, like, hello, you know, hello sisters. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. No, that's totally fine. So I guess I was lucky. Again, I had a very ex- easy experience. If they had said, actually, no, you know, I'm really glad you asked. I don't feel totally comfortable. Could we start saying like friends or kin or, or even beautiful beings is genderless, right? Then I would have had to adjust. Thank, you know, in that moment, that person said they were fine with sisters. I said, okay, good. So if I know if I, that comes out, that I'm okay. But I, so you just have to check, check in with your people and respond to things as they come to you. Great. Thank you. I'm happy for that <laughs> advice. And I'm happy for anyone who's listening to this to receive that advice as well. You know, I think in this time of much social change and again, like polarization so that we can make that sacred third and harmonize and be in unity together. I think having nuanced conversations that are courageous and brave, that are not, again, like in short form on the platform of Instagram, but where we can go much deeper into like recognizing the different viewpoints. Like it's hard to say, like if, like I have my political beliefs, I have my beliefs about social justice. I have my beliefs on feminism. I have my beliefs on all of these important issues. I have my beliefs on religion, but it's also nuanced. I don't need to be put into a camp and categorized just because I happen to lean a certain direction because it all has nuance. And I want the capacity to be open, to hear the other side and find the places where we can make a sacred third. Even if we can't harmonize together and make a complete sacred third, we can make a fraction. (laughs) That would be better than where we're at. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I really hear you in that. And it's true for everyone that it is so nuanced and we have so many different intersecting identities and, and circumstances that, I mean, it really isn't that what our training is as sacred space holders is to be able to hold those differences with compassion and equaling all, you know, equally holding all voices and viewpoints uh, with respect. That's really what we do as sacred space holders. So that's why, again, what we're doing, even when we sometimes think that it's not having a big impact it really is. The ripple effects of, of women's circles is, is immense. Amen. <laughs> so Flora, where can people find your work? Uh, well, my website is floraware.ca. And yeah, I would love it if you came and visit me over there or drop me a line or find me on Instagram or wherever you hang out. And I was also going to share a link to my album that you'll have, which is the wheel of the year uh, songs. And yeah, I would love to hear from anyone if you are inspired by this conversation and just thank you so much, Lauren, for having me on and thank you for the incredible work you do with global sisterhood. Thank you. So for Mm. our last question, which we ask all Mm. of our guests in this moment, If you were channeling the great mother herself, what would she have you say to all of us? Hmm. Beloved daughter, I love you no matter what. Hmm. Mm, thank you. <laughs> thank you, great mother. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that reminder for me. Mm. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> and so it is. And so it is. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It is such an honor every time to be able to host these conversations and to share the stories of the beautiful people we get the opportunity to interview. And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and write a nice note, or you can do so on Spotify by leaving stars. We so appreciate every single one of you that's taken the effort to go out and to share with others and with our community about how this podcast has touched you. It really means so much to us since for us, this is a labor of love. And so thank you for giving back in that way. Thank you.